Hey, Rod, ask Rusty, you were too loud. Well, good morning, FCC Church. Hey, hey, hey. Hold on, let's try that again. Good morning, FCC Church. Hey, hey, hey. There we go. Welcome to another wonderful... <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Good morning to another wonderful Sunday morning here at FCC. Could you please stand and worship along with us?
Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful that we can come together. and We're so thankful, Lord, that you didn't just send Jesus. He ascended into heaven, and then you forgot about us. We're thankful that you're with us all the time. Lord, we're here to celebrate your presence in our life and here to celebrate Jesus together. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody today. We're glad that you've chosen to come worship with us today as we lift up Christ together. Please make sure you fill out your connection card for us. If you're online, we ask that you do the same. And before we continue singing, we're going to have, give you a three-minute introvert, introvert special minute. To, you can go around and say hello to somebody. So go ahead and say hello to someone, and then we will start singing in three minutes. Thank you. 
few different places online. But you can always just morning, Beth. to Gene Call. Gene Call. Paging Gene, Gene Call. Call. Calling Gene Calling Call. Gene Call Gene to Call. the platform, Calling please. Dr. Call. Thank you. Oh, there he is. <laughs> Next week, Gene. Next week. So should we extend it to four minutes? Is three minutes not long enough? No. no. <laughs> I need four minutes and nine seconds. All right, that was kind of unanimous. <laughs> Thank you. Put your hands together for me. Let's do it. Oh, God. 
Sins are gone. Friends on every horizon, and forever and ever his heart is my home. What a friend we have in Jesus. He's to west my sins are gone. And I see grace on every horizon. And forever and ever his heart is Psalm 138, 8. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Lord, your faithful love endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands.
for the good of those who love God who are called according to his purpose
service and we're going to try to do it for you a, a second time. Sometimes the first time is better and sometimes the second time is better. <laughs> but that's because God's always doing what he wants us to do, not because we're, we're doing what we want to do. Um, <laughs> you ever listen to the radio and there's a song that comes on it, it just gives you hope. It just speaks to you and it tells you maybe everything is going to be all right. That's this song. I, I heard this on the radio a while back, and it was that. It literally tells us that it's, I will carry you, but it's not I will carry you. It's he's going to carry you. He's going to carry you through everything. Um, I just had the pleasure of actually watching Gene, and I'm going to pick on him for a second, but Gene, you've been through a lot. And, uh, this man right here, he was showing his faith right now for us. And um, I think that's just proof to us that no matter what we're going through, let us put us our fears aside and let God carry us because he wants to. Thank you. 
than I expected. Talk all you want. That's why the world is watching. Until you get here. Praise you, Jesus. You're doing good. Looks spectacular. Very 
Got a little end-to-end -end thing building, Terry. Nick is now at the halfway point of this walk. Definitely a whip in that cable. Yeah, I can see it. I can see it, but you're still uh, handling it fine. It went fine. Okay, you don't have to tell me how long I'm on the wire. All right. Lucky are everything. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Discovery Channel, for believing in me. Little nephew standing out there watching you, too. True artiste. Nick. How about that? trying to invent a new one? I don't know. Did y'all feel that tension? Yeah. Oh my. You know, as Christians, we have to learn to live with a necessary tension. And the tension is this. We, we're citizens of heaven, but we're living on earth. And that makes things difficult at times because you notice he had, on, he had that big old stick there to kind of keep him balanced. Um, when we're dealing with tension in life, it requires balance. And what can happen is, as Christians, we can do one of two things. We can be so focused on heaven, we forget about the world we live in. And that's what was happening with some of the folks at Thessalonica, because they thought they were in the day of the Lord. They kind of quit doing everything. They even quit working. They wanted the, everybody else to support them while they did nothing but wait for Jesus to come back. Or the other thing that we can do, we can have our heads so deep into the world that we forget that we belong to Christ. And so there's just always this tension that we're dealing with. We have to live daily wise, our daily life wisely in the present while still waiting for what's happening before us. Through this series, we've been emphasizing the second coming. As we sought to debunk some of the incorrect views concerning the second coming, and when you start looking at this, this passage, this, this series is really exemplified, it exemplifies one thing for us that what you believe matters. I've said this in the beginning of the series. Some people will say, well, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. Well, that's really not true because what a person believes impacts how they live and how they think. Uh, we see this through the book of First and Second Thessalonians. You had a group of people who thought that the day of the Lord was here and that thinking, that theology led them to quit doing anything. They were just waiting to be taken up. What we believe will have an impact on the way we live, how we see the world, and what we think. We live on a tightrope of living in this world and living for Jesus. We live in a, on this tightrope of waiting joyfully for the return of Jesus, but yet making the most of the life that we have while we have it, because it's a gift. While we are awaiting the return of the Lord, we need to live life to the fullest. We need to make the most of the time we have because you never know when that time is up. You just never know. It can just go, it goes just like that for some people. 
So what we're going to do today as we conclude this series in First and Second Thessalonians is we're going to look at three ways that we should be living life. And uh, if you do this, you're going to really enjoy life's going to be good. Um, so we're going to begin this morning in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. It says this. Finally, pray for us, brothers and sisters, that the Lord's message may be spread quickly and be honored as in fact it was among you, and that we may be delivered from perverse and evil people. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. And we are confident about you in the Lord that you are doing both, that you, that you are both doing and will do what we are commanding you. Now, may the Lord direct your hearts toward the love of God and the endurance in Christ. So while we're waiting for the Lord to return, the first way we should be living our life is we need to live life with confidence. The Apostle Paul encourages the Christians at Thessalonica to pray for him and to pray for his companions, first of all, so that the message may be spread rapidly and be honored among all those who hear it. Now, this demonstrates one of the first aspects of being able to live a life confidently as a Christian, and that is an unwavering trust in the power of prayer. The Apostle Paul, with all this stuff he's writing, he, he closes this out and he says, hey, pray for, pray for us. And why would he do that if he didn't believe in it? Why would he do that if he thought it was just an exercise in futility or an afterthought or is what the thing you're supposed to say in church? He asked for prayer because he believed in its power. And we have to be able to demonstrate an unwavering trust in the power of prayer if we're going to live confidently. Because without that unwavering trust in the power of prayer, our confidence will be shot because there's so many things that hit us in life that if we felt like we were alone, dealing with them alone, that we would never get through them. We can be confident that our prayers can impact the lives of ourselves and others as we, and, and also to bring about transformation in the life of others as well as our own life. Paul faced a lot of difficulties, a lot of difficult times. And one of the ways that he could live confidently is that he had an unwavering trust in, in the power of prayer. Because Paul knew who he prayed to, and he knew to whom he prayed to and what he was capable of. He knew that he was praying to the creator of heaven and earth. How many times have you told somebody, hey, I'll pray for you? And you never really did. Or how many times you said, well, I guess I ought to ask for prayer because, you know, I'm a Christian and that's what we, that's what we do. Never really expecting or thinking, yeah, I'm going to pray about this, but, you know, ultimately I'm going to have to fix it. See, that's a lacking of trust in the power of prayer. Because when we lack that trust in the power of prayer, we are going to lack confidence in our Christian walk. And so it's important for us to have that trust and see what God can do through that. Because if we don't, we won't use it and we won't do it. So when Paul lifts up a prayer, he says, hey, guys, or ask for prayer. First thing he asks for is that the message of the Lord would spread quickly. And the thought of spreading the gospel quickly is what he was asking for, is he wanted that gospel to spread from person to person, from place to place, with as little or no interruption as possible. Because he wanted that message to get out there. Because that message was important. And I think as we look a little deeper in the message, we'll see why we, why we bring this part up. But Paul wanted that message out there because that message, he could live confidently in part two because the message is something that he trusted. The message can change lives. 
The message can change destinies. The message can change everything in a person's life. And he had confidence in that. And he says, not only do I want this to spread, but I want it to be honored. And to be honored means to be lived by. In other words, I've, I haven't looked at the later, latest poll, but it, there's been times where this country has been anywhere from 80 to 90% where it's, people say they're Christian. Okay, let me ask you a question. Let's say, let's just be not generous and say only 70% of Americans say they're Christian. How different would the nation be if we were 70% real Christian? See, there's a big difference between saying you're a Christian and being a Christian. And this is what this concept of honoring the message means. Honoring the message isn't just hearing it and saying, oh yeah, that sounds good, yay. It means hearing it and letting it change your life, living by it. And Paul says, I don't want them just to hear this message. I want this message to make an impact in their life. But going back to the nation again, or even the world, if 70% of our country was Christian, this nation would be so different. For one, we, put, we, we would not put up with the shenanigans we put up with in Washington because we'd quit sending those clowns to Washington. We would send people who are genuinely people of faith who have some responsibility and don't spend your money like drunken sailors, which that's an insult to a drunken sailor, actually. But the fact of the matter is, and, and our prisons wouldn't be so full, and we wouldn't have people cheating the system at every chance that they got to cheat the system. See, the nation would be different if we were honoring the Word of God if we were honoring it. And that's what Paul wanted. He didn't want it just to be heard, but he wanted it to be honored. He knew that that message could impact and change lives. The second part of his prayer request was that he prayed that his team and himself would be delivered from what he called evil and perverse people who would seek to hinder the gospel. Now, in the context, Paul's talking basically about the unbelieving Jews at this time. They would go wherever he was and they would cause trouble. And I go, I go back and forth with this in my mind. Were these people that were causing trouble actually just trying to cause trouble? Or were they so convinced that they were right that they were, and that Paul was wrong that they tried to undo what, he thought, what they thought was wrong? I kind of think it's a little more of the latter than the former at times. But nonetheless, Paul says these people were coming in to try to undo things. He says, I want protection from them. And this word perverse denotes somebody who does outrageous and harmful acts against others. And of course, when you look through the life of Paul, you can see that's happened time after time after time at the hands of the unbelieving Jews. Well, verse 3 gives us some hope that it will help us to live confidently in the face of such people. Paul says that there's going to be people who are going to be evil and perverse, and he, he assures us of something, though. He first of all says that not everybody has faith. And so he gives the reason why they're evil and perverse. But he, but he also gives us something that's encouraging. Even though people can be faithless, God is always faithful. God can always be trusted. And another way that we can live confidently in our faith, the second key element is, is trusting in the faithfulness of God. I don't know, I can hear somebody on a microphone somewhere. I don't know who it is. Somebody's got a live mic on, so you might check your mics. But anyway, um, and no, I am a nice person, by the way. Oh, anyway. <laughs> um, despite the challenges that we face, we can have confidence that God will never abandon us. We don't have, have you ever worked for a boss who one moment they're this way, the next moment they're this way? One moment you can say something and they're laughing up, the next moment they want to get you fired over what you said. 
I mean, it's amazing to me. I've worked for bosses that way, when I worked for Square D, that, man, you just never know where they were going to be. They were very, they were just unstable. Well, can you imagine serving a God that was unstable? That he says, hey, here's what, here's what I want from you. Here's what I'll do for you. Here's how much I love you. And then you end up getting to the end of the rainbow, as they say, and find out it was all wrong. I changed my mind. I changed my mind. Well, see, God doesn't change his mind. God is the same always, and we can rely on that faithfulness, and that gives us confidence in life. That gives us confidence. It serves as a reminder, too, that when he says that God is, that, that God is with us all, that he's with us all the time, that he'll never abandon us. He's always there. He's always by our side, guiding us through every situation. This passage emphasizes that the Lord will strengthen and protect us from the evil one. I don't know who's coming through my, my stuff here. I'm going to listen a little carefully. Somebody's got a live mic because I can hear everything you're saying, and it's distracting. But anyway, this serves as a reminder that living life with confidence requires us to rely on the power of God and the protection of God. When you're going through difficult times, if you don't feel empowered or protected, you're going to falter. And God will protect us. Our Heavenly Father is steady and unwavering in His love and care in His provision for us. He will never abandon us. He is faithful in all times. In times of uncertainty, he's faithful. Anyway, um, we can confidently face adversity knowing that we're not alone in our struggles. And the thing is, when we face opposition and doubt and challenges, what do you hold on to? You've got to hold on to the truth of, of, of God's word. You've got, I think it's coming back from the soundboard. Some guys, you got something hot back there at the soundboard. I hear everything you're saying. Soundboard, you guys have a live mic back there. There you go. Turn that off, please. Sorry. Uh, anyway, I'm 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 just totally messed up now. Um. <laughs> when we, <laughs> yeah, live without being distracted. But anyway. Um, Living, li people are actually listening. I'm shocked. Um, living with confidence, though, it's not about being arrogant or self-sufficient. I've been around athletes before, or seen athletes, and you, I like confident people. I really do. But there comes a line that you cross where you go into arrogance. Now, and as an athlete, I've always said, if you can back it up, you're not being arrogant, but that's not totally true. Um, when we're living for God, we're not called to be arrogant, called to be confident. And a confident person is one who placed their trust in God, not in themselves. Because when we start trusting ourselves, that can breed, that can breed arrogance because we think, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, and God's not. Let's look at verses 6 through 12. But we command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from any brother who lives an undisciplined life and not according to the tradition that we that they receive from us for you know your for you know yourselves how you must imitate us because we did not behave without discipline among you and we did not eat anyone's food without paying instead in toil and drudgery we worked day or night and day in order not to burden any of you it was not because we do not have the right but to give ourselves as an example 
for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, neither should he eat. For we hear that some among you are living in an undisciplined life and not doing their own work, but meddling in the work of others. Now such people we command, command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to work quietly so to provide their own food to eat. So the second way we're really called to live life is to live life with purpose. When we live life with no purpose or the wrong purpose, it causes problems. And there were people at Thessalonica that were doing that very thing. In this letter to the Thessalonians, Paul encourages his readers to withdraw from those who are idle and not living according to the traditions that Paul taught them. He said that you've got some among you who are living an undisciplined life. He said you need to stay away from them. Now, he's not telling them to basically excommunicate them. You know how when you're with somebody and they're doing things, sometimes your presence with them basically is a, you're condoning what they're doing. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, don't condone the undisciplined lifestyle these folks are living. You need to kind of pull away from them. And, that, and that, the word in there means it was used of a, a sailor that was told to stay away from rocks when they're bringing their ships in to keep from crashing it. But as a follower of Jesus, we are called to be active participants in God's kingdom. So if we have brothers and sisters who are not doing anything, who in, in this case weren't even working to eat, we're told that we need to, we need to kind of pull back from them but yet try to tell them the right way to do things, show them the right way to do things. We're called to be active participants. In God's kingdom, there's no bench. You ever, if you ever played sports, you ever, any of you like sitting on the bench? See, I, I told myself I wasn't going to sit on the bench. I worked hard not to sit on the bench. I wanted to be in the game. I wanted to play. In God's kingdom, everybody's on the field. And so we can't just say, I'm going to go sit on the bench, or I'm going to call in the replacement or the second teamer. No, there's no second team in God's kingdom. We're all on the field. We're all to give, us, give him our all. We're to leave it all out there. Now, Christians are called to work. And Paul said, these folks who are being lazy, you got to back off from them. Now, this command didn't apply to those who can't, but it was for those who won't. And there's a big difference. The church was called to help widows and orphans and those who could not help themselves. And, and even maybe sometimes somebody's in between work. But what was happening is the church had limited resources and they had this group of people who wouldn't work and they were taking away resources from those who couldn't work. We have the same thing in our welfare system today. There are so many people who can't work, who can't take care of themselves, that they need help. But then there's so many people who can but won't who are taking the resources away from those who need it. And now in our society, what we do, we just print more money. But the problem with that, folks, is we may, I may not see it in my lifetime. I don't know. But I'll tell you what, my grandkids are going to see it, and they're going to probably curse the day I was alive because we let this happen, because we're printing money like it's going out of style, and it's going to destroy the nation at some point if we're not careful. But the thing is, we have so many people in need in our country that we can't possibly help them adequately because we're helping people who aren't in need, who just won't. And Paul said, the won'ts won't eat either. One of the things that really motivates a person is an empty stomach. And maybe if some of that happened in our country, you know, you go to a national park that says, don't feed the animals. Now, I don't know about you, but if I see a little, if I see a, a panther or something, I want to feed it. It's probably going to eat me, but um, 
why do they tell you not to feed the animals? They'll become dependent. Well, maybe we need a sign that says don't feed the humans <laughs> because we, we become dependent. And those, so those who can't don't get what they need because those who won't are taking it from them. And this is exactly what was happening in the church of Thessalonica. And Paul said, that got to stop. Those won'ts won't get to eat either. And that'll motivate them to get out and do something. Um, we are not spectators. Our lives should reflect a sense of purpose of fulfilling the, the task that God has entrusted us with. Whether it be with our families, our workplace, and our communities, we have to be diligent by being a shining light of an, as an example of who Christ is. Paul said, without apology and without arrogance, imitate us. We proved ourselves among you that we weren't trying to take advantage of you. Now, some people came behind Paul and said, well, you know why Paul said he wouldn't take any food from you? Because he's not an apostle, so he didn't have the right. Paul said, nope, that's not true. He said, we just didn't want to be a burden to you, and we wanted to be an example to you of what it means to work hard. Let me tell you something. In ministry, there's more and more, there's more and more folks who, well, they aren't working. The way things are now, you can do things pretty easy if you want to, and that's not a good example. Paul sets the example of diligence by reminding the Thessalonians that we work night and day to be able to serve you. He labored, not seeking personal gain, not for convenience, but for the sake of the gospel. And this should challenge us to examine our own lives and, ourselves, and ask ourselves, are we truly giving God our best? Are we just getting by? Or are we doing maybe nothing for him? We need to live out our faith in such a way that we can confidently say without being arrogant, imitate my faith. I can show you the way. And, and if you're not careful, that comes across as, look at me. If your heart's right, it doesn't. What it means is, you know what, I'm a sinner, I struggle, but I've got this, I, I've, I've, I've got the general idea of this figured out, and you can learn from what I'm doing. And I followed the examples of many people, when I, particularly early in my walk, you know, my friend Brian, my minister Morris, there's a lot of people, man, I, I looked up to them, and their example was an example that spurred me on to, to, to want to be better and to grow closer to Christ. Paul continues to address this issue of idleness in the Thessalonian community. And basically, he just said, these folks, because they had nothing better to do, what they were doing is they were meddling in other people's work. And so what ends up happening is when we don't have purpose in life, what do we do? We jump on other people's purpose. We, I've noticed one thing in the church throughout my whole life and this is true in a probably across the board even like in the radio club and other places the people who complain most and i'm not talking about sharing concerns and trying to but complain the most are the ones who do the least that's typically how it goes you know why because the people are that are working are too busy to complain <laughs> they're they're working they're doing things and so paul says because these folks are doing nothing what they're doing is they're getting in everybody else's business and trying to tell them how to do things when they themselves are doing nothing. And I've seen this sometimes with people when they retire, they kind of lose purpose for life, and then they're getting their nose in everybody else's business and not worrying about their own. So we would call that being a busybody today, and that's not the purpose for our life. Our purpose is to live for Jesus and serve him. Our purpose in life is to use the time, the talent, the treasure, the resources we have to serve the Lord and to bless others to the best of our ability. God has uniquely gifted every one of you in here, all of us, and he expects us to use those gifts for him, 
no matter how young or no matter how old. I realize one of the things I'm realizing more and more is as you get older, what you do will have to change, obviously. You know, I just had a birthday, and one of my birthday gifts was I'm starting to get arthritis in my index finger. And it just all of a sudden, I woke up one day and said, I can't hardly close that finger. What's going on? And it's like, it's a great gift, by the way, and particularly since I'm left-handed. But it makes me realize, you know, at some point in life, I may have to change how I serve, but not if I serve. Not if I serve. That should never be a question. We should always be doing it. Whether it's through acts of kindness, mercy, generosity, we have the opportunity to impact other people and bring them to God. We need to be known as people who will go above and beyond showing the love of Christ to people and to try to help them, um, to try to help them come to Christ. And our service shouldn't be, gain, shouldn't be done for personal gain. Paul wasn't doing what he was doing, so he got anything out of it. He was simply doing it because of his love for Christ and his love for others. Our character should reflect that of the Lord that we love. We're followers of Jesus. Let's look at verse 13. But you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing what is right. I love this last one. Live life with passion. Hmm. The verb tense of verse 13 was a prohibition of telling people, don't grow weary doing good, doing what's right. We are called to be passionate about doing what is right for the Lord. Now, in reality, there's a lot of reasons in life that we lose passion and cause us to grow weary. Sometimes we see people who, um, who are seemingly being rewarded for doing what's not good. And then we look in our country today and we basically look at our system and we see basically a three-tier system, one for the politicians, we see racial issues, and then we see one for everybody else. And that's discouraging when you think, well, if my spouse did that with a clearance, this is what would happen to them, but it doesn't seem to happen to the political class. And it's really easy to lose heart thinking, well, you know, these people are doing evil and wrong. My might as well do it too. But we can't let that affect us. Sometimes we do good to others and we get, you ever heard the thing, no good deed goes unpunished? You ever experienced that? Makes you want to give up, doesn't it? It's like, well, why am I even wasting my time trying to do this when I just get smacked in the mouth figuratively for trying to do good? Sometimes doing good's costly. For the apostle Paul, it cost him a lot. He had life. He had it made as a Pharisee, man. He was the cream of the crop. And then he comes to Jesus, and he almost gets, he gets shipwrecked. He gets stoned, he almost stoned to death. He gets beaten. He gets lit, let out of a wall of a city through a window in a basket to save his life. That seems rough. Huh. But see, passion is powerful. It's a powerful force. It ignites our hearts. It infuses our purpose. It infuses us with purpose. It propels us forward on our journey of faith. Nothing will stop us when we have a passion for Jesus. Have you ever been around somebody that has no passion? They're kind of a bummer. It's infectious, isn't it? Next thing you know, you find yourself feeling the same way. I was at a restaurant yesterday, and there was a gentleman. I don't know what was wrong. I felt bad for him, and he was talking like this all the time. And you know what? My, voice, my throat started hurting just listening. I kept thinking, man, quit talking, dude. You're hurting me. And, and I felt so bad because I wondered, did he have cancer? What, did he, you know, what happened? But it was getting infectious figuratively because it was a, I was like, oh, man, I just quit talking. But if you've been around somebody who is passionate, see, that's infectious too. And if you want to bring people to Jesus, we have to have a passion for it. You don't go to somebody and say, oh, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And it's, it's done a lot for me. Yeah, pretty exciting to follow him. 
except all the fun stuff I don't get to do anymore. You know, got to go to church, man. That's a bummer. I got to give some money. Got to pray. Can't go watch movies I used to watch. Can't do, you know, who wants that? You should be able to tell what people what Jesus has done for you. And it should bring a smile to your face. And we have to have passion. To live with passion means to live persistently, consistently, and wholeheartedly in our purpose that God has given us. See, the world promotes and, and rewards apathy and complacency. But we're called to be above that. We are called to make a positive impact. Your life is going to make a negative or positive impact. It cracks me up whenever I travel, um, when, particularly car rentals. Do you want to purchase a carbon offset? And I'm just looking at that. No, I wish I'd have come up with that scheme, though. I could have got rich. But I'm like, no, because I tell my wife, I said, I want to leave a big carbon footprint. I want the world to know I was here. You know, long after I go, man, look at that. It says Jeff was here. And look at that big car. Look at all the stuff. Look at that carbon footprint. It's ridiculous. We want to, we're going to leave an imprint on people. Is it good or bad? John Wilkes Booth, not a good one. Adolf Hitler, definitely not a good one. Billy Graham, good one. You may not be somewhere, you may be somewhere in between there. But I know one of the great rewards of ministry is occasionally I'll get a letter from somebody or an email now from somebody that says, hey, remember when you baptized me into Christ or you helped lead me to Christ? Here's what God's been doing with my life and it makes me feel so good to know that I had an opportunity through the, through the power of Christ to impact a life. Because, you know, Billy Graham had a big impact on the world. Do you know who won him to Christ? I used to know, but I don't remember because I'm getting old. I don't remember stuff very well anymore. But, uh, and who led that guy to Christ? And who led that guy to Christ? See, five or six generations back, whoever led that person to Christ had an impact through Billy Graham. You'll never know who those people were, but yet their footprint is, is always going to be here. Their fingerprints are always here. We need to live with passion. We need to look to Jesus who lived with passion because he did everything. One of the things I said this, I love the, the show, the, the Chosen, and it's not a thousand percent accurate, and there's a few issues here, but you know what I love about it? It's how they portray Jesus. He wasn't melancholy. I thought when I was younger, Jesus was very melancholy, you know, very pensive. No, he was a passionate man who lived life with joy. He served the Lord with joy. And his passion led him to the cross because he had passion for you. He wants you to have eternal life. And that passion led him to do that. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, it can change our life. We have a powerful message, folks. We need to share that message. We need to quit worrying about what other people are going to think or what other people are going to do. And we need to be passionate about Jesus. As we conclude our message, we're called to live life with confidence, confidence in the Lord that we serve. We are called to live life with purpose, understanding what God has called us to do, to be diligent in doing that. And we are called to live with passion, a passion for Jesus that drives us. What gets you up in the morning? What drives you? That's what's important. We have to be faithful stewards of our time, talents, and treasures so that we can utilize them to the best of our ability. You know, we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but we know what right now is bringing, and we need to live for Jesus right now with those aspects in our life and have an impact for, on other people. This morning, our praise team is going to come up and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, what's, what's holding you back? God had a great passion for you. 
in doing so, he sent Jesus. And Jesus had a great passion for you, and he showed us that by going to the cross and rising on the third day so that you could have eternal life. So this morning, if you need to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. And if you're, a, uh, if you're struggling and need prayer, if you'd like to come up, I'd be glad to pray with you. But this time, let's all stand together and sing our song of decision. If you have a decision to make, we invite you to come forward.
be seated. This time, it's a joy. Brad and Julie come to us as immersed believers, and they would like to make First Christian Church their home. So I'm going to have them stand up. I'm going to ask you both, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Yes. <laughs> that was easy. I was expecting something a little bit more. You know, I know, but I couldn't. But anyway, based on their confession of faith, we welcome, welcome them to the First Christian family. I'm glad to have them a part of this church family. This time our service when we come around the Lord's table and we remember what Christ has done and that I always like good good father before communion like that because it when you think of a good father you think of a good father who they don't rule their children but they lead them and they teach them and they care for them and they love them and they protect them to the best of their ability. They try to lead them down the right paths. They want them to be successful in life. And one of the things that our God is, he's definitely the good, good father because he's the epitome of that. As an earthly father, I always did my best and still try to do my best, but there were times that I fell short. And I always regret that. As a matter of fact, I've apologized to my daughters about that a few times. But our heavenly father doesn't make mistakes and he doesn't need to apologize. It's been said that if God is a loving God, why does he send people to hell? I just read part of, you know, I've read C.S. Lewis' book, and he kind of touched on this in one of his chapters. And this, the answer to that is that God doesn't send anybody to hell. He's a good, good father. It's like if you're a, as an earthly father and you've taught your children the best you can, you've raised them the best you can, you've done everything to help them and to protect them, and then they go out and start doing drugs or whatever, start getting in, you know, the thug life, if you will. And... <laughs> And you, um, somebody would say, well, you were a failure as a father. Why did you let your child do that? Well, you didn't. You did everything in your power to keep them from wanting to do that, but they chose to do it. And when people say, well, why would a good God send people to hell? God hasn't sent people, doesn't send people to hell. Our rejection of Jesus does it for us. God, being the good, good father, gave us the way to avoid that eternal separation because he wants you to be with him. And as we take our communion this morning, let us remember the sacrifice that was made, the love behind it, and the fact that our good, good Father put this into place so that we could have eternal life with him, so that both his mercy and his justice could be, could be served. Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful that we can come around the table this morning, that we can celebrate this time of communion. Father, I pray as we take our communion this morning that we just peer deep into our hearts. And, and do so with thanksgiving for what's been done. And then, Lord, make sure that we're doing everything that we can to give you our all. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
on the inside of your bulletin, we have our announcements for this week. At 6 o'clock tonight, they're going to have an Operation Christmas Child shoebox party. It's going to start at 6 o'clock, not at 5.30, not at 5.45, not at 5.50, at 6 o'clock. And it's not a speed race. There's, they're, they're, they're doing this for some fellowship. And, but anyway, if you'd like to be there, they're going to start at 6 p.m., probably with prayer, and then they'll get started. Uh, Roger's group will not meet because of that. They'll be involved in that. Jerry's other groups will be meeting today. Um, LOL does not meet this week. And we do not have adult Bible study this week. I'll be out of town. The harvest parties get preps underway. We're looking for things. You can see this in the bulletin, but we need volunteers. We need stuff for dime toss. We need candy. So any way you can help us would be great. And if you've not been to one of our, our harvest parties, you should come. It's a lot of fun. It's fun to be around all the kids. Operation Christmas Child's looking for donations for October, November, and for scissors, soap, and so on. And as I said, the, the bowling party is going to take place this this tonight. Thanksgiving dinner is coming up on November 12th. Make sure you sign up and make sure you sign up to bring something so that you can help feed other people. Uh, the church is going to provide turkey, ham, rolls, and drinks. And then we have our annual business meeting on December 3rd at 4 o'clock, and all of our members are expected to be there, and anybody else is welcome to come to that also. Um, at this time, I want to show you a video from Operation Christmas Child. My name is Moises Grossinger, and I'm from El Salvador. I actually don't know much about my own country uh, because I was in an orphanage in the middle of nowhere and that's where I grew up. Every Sunday after church service, it was family day for, for those who had parents. Every year I waited and not having them visit me, so I always asked myself if I wasn't good enough for my parents, would I ever be good enough for anyone else? So that day when we were told that there were going to be people coming to our homes to bring us gifts, and they kept repeating the phrase, Jesus loves you. Uh, I started to walk away when a man motions me back and um, he's, he tells me, where are you going? You don't have a shoebox yet. And I quickly reply, but I don't have any parents. And um, that's when he looked directly into my eyes and with a smile on his face, he just hands me the shoebox and he tells me, Jesus loves me. As I received that, I kept looking at it and I started to walk away. And I looked back to see if the man was going to come back and take the shoebox back, but he didn't. And he knew what I was thinking, so he just smiled and waited for everybody to have a moment to open the shoebox. That day was just full of joy. So my wow item was a, a soccer ball and I couldn't believe it, that it was mine, um, that I just remember opening it and receiving that soccer ball. And I just remember just playing in the orphanage. We had a big field to play on and I just remember running with the soccer ball all, all over the orphanage. So it was that moment when I realized that I was loved and I was seen. With my shoebox, I also received the greatest gift booklet. And I, that's when my prayer journey began and I started to pray for a family. When I was 10 years old, I was called into the office of the orphanage and I was told that there was going to be a family in the United States who wanted to adopt me. And I was introduced to my adopted family and I just remember running to them and calling them familia. Now I live my life saying yes to the Lord because I have no reason to say no. He did not just give me a family, but he gave me a new life. Isn't that, it's amazing how one box can change a life. And Operation Christmas Child sent like 400 million of them so far. And so we're going to pray that um, all of the boxes that are sent out are going to have an impact. On the back of your bulletin, um, you have a prayer request. Make sure that you look through those. We have, we're praying for what's going on in the Middle East. That's rough. We pray that the Lord will intervene. 
Uh, we have a lot of people that are we're praying for their health. We got troops who are deployed. We have our shut-ins. We have Operation Christmas Child we're praying for this month. And CareNet also is the mission. They're getting ready to have their banquet. And so we pray that they get everything that they need to be able to continue to carry on their work. So at this time, let's stand together. I'll have a closing prayer. And our band will lead us out with a song. It's been a blessing to be together today. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful that we could come together today and worship you. And I pray, Lord, that as we leave this place this week, that we have confidence in our walk with you and that we're able to live with passion and purpose. Father, let that spill over to the lives of others so they can see how much you mean to us. And I pray that we have the conviction of faith to share it with them. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.